Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. My name is Rick Archer. Buddha at the Gas Pump is an ongoing series of interviews with spiritually awakening people. I've done over 365 of them now, and if this is new to you, then go to batgap.com, B-A-T-G-A-P, uh, and look under the past interviews menu where you'll find them all organized and categorized in various ways. Um, if this is not new to you, you're probably tired of hearing me say that, but <laughs> I say it every week. BatGap is made possible by the support of appreciative listeners and viewers, and so if you appreciate it and feel like supporting it, there's a donate button on every page of the site, a PayPal button. You may have noticed in my interviews that there's a, a little picture of a woman with a garland around her neck sitting over my right shoulder, and that's Ama. Today's guest is going to talk about Ama with me, and I'll have him explain who she is. But I just want to say that my wife Irene and I have been seeing Amma since 1999 and have benefited tremendously from our association with her. She, she really has had a profound effect on our lives. So I don't think I've, I mean, I've, I've mentioned her in various interviews, but we've never really done an interview about her. So that's what today's interview is going to be about. And um, today's guest, Ted Zeff, is highly qualified to tell us about Ama because he's written three books about her. I was just reading the third entitled Ama, Inspiring Experiences with the Divine Mother. Ted um, lived in Ama's ashram in San Ramon, California for about 25 years and has traveled all over the world with her. I think it was like, what, 1987 or 88 that you first met her, Ted? 1988. 1988. How did you meet her? And who is she? Well, a friend of mine said, oh, there's a spiritual teacher coming from India. And at that time in my life, I was trying to meet all sorts of spiritual teachers. And I just thought this was just another teacher from India. I didn't realize she's really the incarnation of the Divine Mother. I remember I wanted to ask her a question because I was asking questions to all these spiritual teachers. And I, this was in San Francisco. It was very small programs in those days. The program had maybe 75 people there. Nobody knew about AMA. And I went, uh, I wanted to ask a question. They go, well, she only asked, you can only ask her a question in the mornings. I said, well, never mind. I won't come back. I won't see her in the morning. So I went up to, out to get Darshan, which is the hug, the famous hug that AMA's hugged over 30 million people. And, um, I got the hug, and then I was getting up to leave, and the Swami sitting next to her, this is called Big Swamiji, says, oh, wait a minute, come back. Amma says, you have a question? Mm. And so I sat down and started asking her some spiritual questions about how to concentrate when I meditate. And I, I also I go, wow, she could read my mind, and she gave these amazing, eloquent answers. So I came back the next day, and I stayed with her since 1988. And... Um, a lot of people go see Amma and don't have a clue who she is. She, oh, it seems like a nice lady dressed in white who's hugging some people. But no one in a human body, the natural human body, could do what she does. I mean, try having, even for two hours, one person after another falling on you and, and, and crying on you and, and holding them one after another. I mean, a human couldn't do that. And on... Um, Devi Bhava, which he does uh, all night long, it starts with a puja or a ceremony around um, 
seven o'clock at night, and then she starts the darshan, which is the hugging people, at around um, 8.30, and she'll go on. I just noticed today she's in Paris, and Paris has huge programs, and it ended at 11.30 in the morning. So you can imagine she comes out at 7 and goes on till 11.30 the next morning without getting up to, to, to drink anything, to go to the bathroom, to eat anything, and... <clears throat> She said once that if her body was made out of steel, it would have broken a long time ago. So that alone is a miracle that she can sit there for so many hours, not only hugging one person after another, but while she's doing that, she's running a hundred different or more than a hundred different charities where, where they'll put a cell phone next to her ear and she'll direct people about how to help the poor in India in terms of the hospital she's created um and the orphanages uh it's just it's absolutely mind-boggling and then in the meantime there's also a question line where people are going up trying to and ask her questions so she's the ultimate multitasker yeah she really is incidentally I, I forgot to mention at the beginning that your spiritual name that ama gave you is dialu so some of your friends might know you as dialu maybe i'll call you ted for the sake of convenience during the interview um or, or dialu i'll go back and forth uh, <laughs> So um, you mentioned several things during that. I just want to second the, 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 the sentiment that you just expressed, which is that the longer you watch AMA, even in a single session, the, the more your jaw drops because you begin to realize that you're seeing something quite extraordinary that you couldn't imagine yourself being able to do. And, and then, uh, you know, going on hour after hour. And I also just want to add that when I first heard about Ama, the hug thing, I thought, oh, that's cute, you know, kind of touchy-feely or something. I mean, there was that guy, Leo Biscaglia, who was really into hugging people, and, and it's really sweet. And so I didn't have a, a sense of the depth of it until I went and saw Ama and, you know, had that experience. And actually sort of putting her arms around you and whispering something in your ear is, is more like just an external vehicle for what's something that's happening very profoundly on a deep level where you, you kind of feel like she's really connecting with you at the core of your being and um, pushing some buttons there which, which are going to change the course of your life in some ways. Like she, I don't know exactly what she's doing, but maybe you can elaborate. But there's, there's a sense of a deep communion or connection or merging of souls or something and you feel at least I always feel highly uplifted by the experience, profoundly so, and um, I really feel like it's it's had a cumulative effect over the years that has really uh, accelerated and, and safeguarded the course of my spiritual evolution. Maybe you could elaborate on some of that. Well, um, my feeling is when she touches people, she's awakening the divine within you. Yeah. And whether you go back to see her another time or you become a devotee and you see her regularly and you do the meditation and the archana, which is the repetition of the names of Amma and the Divine Mother, or you don't do anything, she's put a little spark of, of the Divine in your soul that will manifest, if not in this lifetime, in a future incarnation. Yeah. If you have the belief that um, many people do, especially in the Hindu and Buddhist religion, that there's more than one incarnation. Mm -hmm. um, and my feeling also is that it, it often says it's a lot of times when you're with her, there's a lot of uh, chaos around and so many thousands of people coming there. I mean, in, 
in the in in Europe, she'll have instead of just like a few two three thousand like in America, she'll have like ten fifteen thousand. In India, she'll have up to seventy five a hundred thousand. I mean, it's just mind boggling. <laughs> but what she's doing is she, her whole purpose is to bring is to awaken that divinity within you, so that you will get to a place that you just realize the temporariness of this incarnation and you are are trying to focus on developing your oneness with God in whatever form that is. And she doesn't try and change anyone. She has Buddhist monks, uh, Catholic nuns, people from every religion come to see her. Uh, and yet um, she's accepting everyone where they're at, but they're trying. she's trying to help them go deeper into their own religion their own um sense of of the divine of within them and one of the techniques is it's kind of called um rocks in a tumbler oh, yeah. so if you shake the rocks up enough eventually the sharp edges will smooth out and become smooth and i can absolutely say after living 20 years in her ashram uh it works and i just think of how i was when i first met her not that I'm mature by any means, but the, the level of immaturity and attachments I had to things on a, on a worldly level, whether they be um, physical objects or connections with people, mine, mine, I wanted this, I wanted that. And I'm just noticing in my old age now, uh, after living there 20 years, it's like I'm very, very detached from the earth plane in terms of you know, wanting anything. Not that I don't get upset over things sometimes, but there's been a profound effect, not only with me, but every person I've seen who has lived in her ashram. The big one, of course, is Amrita Puri in India, in the state of Kerala in South, South India, uh, where there are thousands and thousands of permanent residents or people who live in her ashram. She has ashrams in, in, in Europe, in Paris, Barcelona, there's a new one in Holland and the United States. There's more and more ashrams. I lived last year at the Chicago ashram, which is huge. It's going to be really big. But by living in her ashram, there's some profound change that happens uh, for people in terms of letting go of the ego and opening to God. And it's, it's just it's just amazing. Yeah, it is. I mean, I haven't lived in her ashram, but although I've lived in other ashrams but there's definitely that i mean you know even seeing her regularly, the same thing yeah even seeing her regularly i mean since many people listening aren't about to move to one of her ashrams just like that but um just coming and, and seeing her once or twice a year if you can can have a profound influence and you know if you are interested in the the idea of ashram life um amas ashrams either here in, the, in well wherever they exist uh might be a good thing to consider um the rocks in the tumbler principle, meaning that, um, you know, you have a, a situation like that where you have all these people living under rather intense conditions and having to work and do this and that. And, you know, personalities can rub up against each other. And yet there's this higher sort of higher principle at work where you're all striving for God and, and so on. And so you, you kind of have to work things out and smooth things out and keep your eyes on, on that goal. And um, you, you just can't exist in an atmosphere like that indefinitely and still hang on to all your individual idiosyncrasies. And they got to kind of smooth out over time. 
By the way, I want to mention that um, for those who haven't seen her or those who have seen her, very shortly she'll be in the United States. She comes twice a year to the U.S. She does a tour of about, uh, I think it's seven or eight cities in the United States and, and one in Canada in the, summer. in the summertime. Right. And then in the in November, she comes after her Europe tour and she'll be in the San Francisco Bay Area, November 25th to the 30th. And she'll be in Detroit, Michigan, I believe it's the 20th to the 24th. Uh -huh. And you can go to ama.org to, uh, to find out more details about that. So you mentioned earlier that Ama is the divine mother, and we've heard, you know, many people have heard the term the divine feminine, but we can't just presume that we all have the same understanding of what that means, the divine mother. What, is it, what does it mean to you? What do you think Ama well, actually in, is? In, in most traditional Christianity or Judaism, it's always, oh, Father, thou art Father, you know, uh, in the masculine. And I remember... Um, I had another spiritual teacher before Amma who talked about saying that the mother is closer than the father and you can worship God as the mother. Mm -hmm. And that's what she said is needed now. So she came, you know, these great beings like uh, Krishna or Christ um, comes to the earth when, when it's really needed and they really need, really need the feminine, the, 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 the feminine form of God now. And so that's, that's what she's here for. And that's part of why she insists on hugging everyone because we're, we're all longing for that, that connection with the mother. And in this case, the divine mother, uh, so that form of God that's of the feminine. Yeah. Yeah, I remember there's some quote from Mama, you can probably do it better, I think I even saw it in your book, but I've heard it over the years that, you know, everyone is craving love and never gets enough of it, some such thing, and that, um, you know, she just really wants to fulfill that need in people. Yeah, not only fulfill that need in people, but as I said earlier, spark that longing for more than just the earth plane, a connection with your biological relatives your your spouse your children uh but going to the the, the highest level because see one of the reasons when they ask Amo about how she can do what she does she says where, where where there's it's like a river flowing it's just her love just is natural and um it's just a spontaneous uh outpouring of of, of love so where there's love, there's no efforts. And that's why she's able to do what she's doing for hour after hour. And she sees she sees every, everyone who comes up to her as her own self because there's no difference for her between anybody. There's no ego there. There's no separation. And what causes all the pain is the ego, the sense that it's I, mine, this is mine, and I'm separate. But Ama is egoless and sees herself in all beings. and how can we, she always says, we can't get to the, the feeling of that divine connection, that, 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 that bliss of, of God, if we think we're separate and we think we have an ego. So that's why breaking down the ego and helping let go of it and being more detached. And one of the main ways that the, in Amis teachings is through selfless service or seva uh, of, of serving, serving suffering humanity in whatever way possible and also she also emphasizes that it's easier in this gen this day and age to have be bhakti yoga which is opening your heart and so so many of the 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 uh songs the bhajans 
the singing is about uh, you know just opening your heart to, to to God to the divine divine mother and and just saying where are you long that longing mm -hmm. uh, rather than uh, the Gyani which is more of the wisdom which is important but a lot of people can get stuck and then just in thinking so that's why a lot of the emphasis is on on selfless service or seva and bhakti yoga yeah I was standing, it's interesting to note that when Amma comes into the hall every time, uh, first thing she does is bow to the audience, to head to the floor, you know. Um, so there's, it's not, there's this mutual sort of respect situation that she illustrates by doing that, I think. It's, it's not like she's placing herself above everyone. There's, there's a sort of a recognition of the, to me, that symbolizes a recognition of our mutual unity and, and res, you know, respect for one another. Um, and she'll also say when they ask her, oh, people say you're God in the body. And she'll just start laughing. I mean, whenever she does anything, it's 100% laughing, saying, I'm a crazy girl, you know. Yeah. And, um, and, and the, another thing, you know, who haven't met Ami yet, they're wondering, you know, there's so many of these gurus that that will charge like $10,000 and in two weekends you'll be enlightened and, and, and they charge for every program. One, one, another thing that you can see why she's the real, the real McCoy, so to speak, is that she doesn't charge a cent for her public, the public programs and she only charges a little bit for the retreats, a uh, very reasonable fee to cover the cost of the food or paying for the hotel. So the fact that when they say, well, how much is it to see her? It's absolutely free. And even the people in India who are so poor, who are living on, on, on I don't know, like several, you know, 500 rupees a day, they'll still give like 20, 30 rupees to Amma's charities. And every single penny, every single penny uh, or uh, rupee in India goes 100% to help the poor. There's no there's no uh, administration because it's all volunteers. So you know that's why I, I basically I only I, I donate money. To the only charity right now is to, to Amma's organization, the MA Mat, and um, because you know every cent that you give is going to help either feed the poor, go for the hospitals, for health care, for orphanages, for all of her multitude of charities. Yeah, there is a tremendous amount accomplished. Um, you, if you look on our website, there's a whole section itemizing all the things that are done. For instance, after the big tsunami that happened there about 10 years ago or so, there was this huge drive to um, build homes for the people whose homes had been destroyed. And I don't know how many tens of thousands of homes were built. And that's just one example. There are a whole lot of other things. Um, you know, this, this point about um, Ama not getting tired because she's, you know, kind of one with everyone or something that I was uh, standing near her couch one time and a reporter was interviewing her and, and asking her about how she managed to do this without getting tired and she said well you know um, she said if you work in a factory you you get tired and you you want to punch the clock and go home but if you own the factory you know you just have a lot of energy you can just keep going she said this is my factory <laughs> you know I'm just I'm just kind of like you know I don't, I, don't, I don't even have to elaborate. You can get the feeling of what she was doing there with all these people. Uh, let's, see, let's get into some inspiring stories. There are a lot of interesting stories in your book. And if you want, we could um, use your table of contents as a guide for those stories. Um, or else you can just come out with anything that occurs to you as we go along. 
for instance, the first chapter is entitled The Omniscient Guru. And maybe it'd be useful to address just for a second the, the whole notion of gurus, because there have been some gurus that have kind of given the word a bad name, and um, a lot of people are leery of the whole notion of associating with a guru. So what would you say to dispel those doubts, and then maybe we can get into some interesting little anecdotes that you write about? Well, as I said earlier, you know, if you've never met Amma or any spiritual teacher, you should be skeptical at first. Mm -hmm. But once you spend time and you realize that this is an, an honest path, the spiritual teacher is here to help suffering humanity the way Christ was or the Buddha, then my opinion is to see other spiritual teachers, it's like digging holes in different places. You'll never get to the, to the water, you know, if you're, if you're digging for water. Mm -hmm. But... Yeah, and and it's 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 um, it, it isn't good that there've been a lot of spiritual teachers, especially male spiritual teachers, who've had scandals, sex scandals, etc. But just because you go to one doctor who's bad doesn't mean you don't go see another doctor who's good. So likewise, you need to just use your discrimination. And uh, but once you feel there there's a legitimate spiritual teacher that can help you on every level, especially your spiritual growth then it's important to to stick with it and follow the teachings. Yeah. And what do you feel about the idea of seeing a guru or a teacher at all as opposed to somehow doing it on your own? What does Amma have to say about that? You know, I actually asked Amma a question once about all the sincere people who are trying to do good in the world who don't have a spiritual teacher. And she says, well, yes, they're, you know, they're growing spiritually. But it's uh, it's like a thousand or she said ten thousand times harder to reach the goal uh, without a teacher. It's like you know if you're going to go to medical school, you need to learn from a doctor how to do a surgery. So likewise, trying to do it on your own, it, it's it's virtually possible. You need you need someone to show you the way, someone who's already there at that at that state of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And when we say the goal. I presume we mean the goal of enlightenment or God-realization or something yes. along those lines. I once asked uh, Swamini Krishnamrita, Amma's personal assistant, attendant, um, about that, uh, how, about whether there didn't seem to be a whole lot of talk about enlightenment or awakening or, or whatnot in Amma circles. And, um, you know, whereas I, back in those days I wasn't interviewing people, but now I have been, and, and many people report having had profound spiritual awakenings some very abiding that it's not just a flash but something which shifts and lasts and krishnamrita said to me that she thought that enlightenment was very rare and that um you know you could count people on the fingers of your hands in the world who are really enlightened um, to, uh, deserving of that term um, but that um, many people might attain it as they die and uh, on their deathbed somehow there would be this great liberation so a lot of listeners to this show are interested in awakening or enlightenment or spiritual realization. And um, how would you address that point vis-a-vis uh, -vis Amma? Well, I think Amma meets everyone where they're at. And I'd say way over 90% of the people who just stop by to see her are just curious and not really a sincere, uh, uh, sincere, sincerely want enlightenment as their whole goal in life. But there is a lot of talk of enlightenment and reaching the goal of self-realization amongst the, 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 the devotees, the, the sincere devotees like yourself who come back year after year, people who live in the ashrams. And so 
but initially I, I, it wouldn't work. I think if Amos started talking about enlightenment to some brand, a, a new an audience of like several thousand people who don't really aren't even really aware of it. So she tells a lot of her teachings are through stories about doing good and, and, and helping suffering people and ways to let go of the ego. So she meets everyone where they're at. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, Christ kind of tried to do that too. You know, he, there was a famous pearls before swine comment. And then he also talked about the parable of the sower throwing seeds on various kinds of soil. And, and you know, it's not too common for the seeds to fall on the, the kind of soil where they're really going to sprout and, and flourish. So you do get that sense with Amma that she's trying to straddle a, a wide range of spiritual maturity in, in her presentation. And you know, one thing, cool thing about Amma, you could elaborate on this, is she's so adaptable. I mean, you see her, you watch her, you know, hugging, blessing, giving darshan to thousands of people throughout a day. And it's not like by the end of the day, she's, she's all tired out and getting bored with it. it. It's, you know, she could be hugging person number 2000 and she seems just as enthusiastic and into it as she did on the first few. And, and there's also this, this adaptability where she instantly conforms to each person's situation. And I don't want to make it sound like she's unstable because she's not. There's this rock solid presence, but you know, she really tunes into each person and she'll be, she may be shedding tears with one person and then a minute later laughing with another person. Maybe you could elaborate on that or even no, exactly. And I've seen I've seen it time and time again where it's it's almost shocking. There was I remember it was about a year ago in Seattle, uh, there was a little boy and his grandmother who came up for Darshan and the the the, the little boy's mother died and um, the boy was just devastated. And Amma was just crying, tears, holding them, just like totally distraught. Because don't forget, she's seen herself in everyone, mm. and and she'll manifest. It's called bhava, whatever whatever um, form is is needed at the time. So in this particular case, I mean, it was just, I mean, she was just crying and holding that little boy, and it was just, it was so heart wrenching. And literally, the next person coming up had some kind of funny balloon to give her and <laughs> literally would go from crying these tears to just laughing heartily, jumping up and down in her seat. It's just, it, it and only, only a great Mahatma, a self-realized being could, could go from one to the other because she, she, there's no, there's no ego with herself and, and holding on to it. Yeah, yeah. There's no rigidity. There, there's, yeah. a, there's a metaphor that's sometimes used in spiritual circles where it's like uh, someone who's very ego-bound, it's like stone, and you make a mark in the stone, and it, it's hard to make. You can't make a very deep one, and yet it stays a long, long time. And then someone a little bit less ego-bound, it's more like sand. You can easily, more easily make a deeper mark, but, you know, the wind or the waves will wash that away pretty quickly. And then, uh, you know, even less ego-bound, it's more like water. You know, you can pass your arm through it, and yet it goes away right away. Or even more so, like air or like space even, where there's no limit to its depth, and yet no impression or, or uh, vasana, we might say, is left. So Ama seems like that. She seems like kind of a, the cosmic space which can contain everything and which fully commiserates with with everyone and yet is not trapped or bound or or restricted by any experience that she has. 
Well, in terms of stories, um, you know, that's what my book is about. Basically, since I met her in 1988, I've just been writing down different stories, things I've, you know, I've witnessed. But I'm, I'm actually don't think I'm a very good writer. I'm good at recording the things. And actually, there's a funny story in my book about how many times Ama had me write and rewrite the book for, I think it was, I don't know, eight, nine years. Yeah. And then Brahmachari Satish, who's uh, a renunciant living in India, is the one, he's a brilliant editor, and he's very knowledgeable about all the scriptures, and he's the one who really turned it into a good book. Mm-hmm. But at any rate, in that first chapter, I talk about we're going back to Amna, the omnipresent guru, that she's she's not only knows every thought when you go up for darshan, what's going on in your mind, but she knows your past life, your future lives. How do you and, know that? Yeah. <laughs> so and people sometimes get a little afraid. She goes, oh, she can read my mind. And she can because she's one with everyone. She's one with you. Yeah. She is. Yeah. Well, that's a good so, thing if you if you know that she has your best interest in mind. And I've had, I've had that experience interest. myself where she really knows, you know, and, and she gives you some little hint or something that sets you straight. Yeah. Mm. And w- w- one of the names of the 108 names of Amma is the, the, the one who's um, basically all, uh, uh, whose body and senses are for the good of the world constantly. Every, every thought she had is how she can help uplift suffering humanity. Mm-hmm. So anyway, some of the, the first stories I talk about is that, and people just are, are blown away about it, is uh, that she can speak any language when she wants to. And they have an interpreter and she speaks Malayalam, but then there's been case after case where she'll speak the language of the person who's up there. So one of the first stories is a story about uh, a woman who came from Croatia uh, former Yugoslavia, uh, one of the parts of former Yugoslavia to see Amma, and before she went to get Darshan, she was devastated because I believe her husband and her parents were killed in the war, and um, she went up and she said to the Swami, says, well, I don't think Amma could understand the pain I'm going through. So she goes to get Darshan, and she comes back, and she just was crying, and she said, Amma sang to me in Croatian, a lullaby that my mother used to sing to me as a little girl, which is, don't be sad, life is nothing but a dream. Amazing. I mean, it's just, it's shocking. And then there's another story after that about a woman uh, from Brazil, who where they speak Portuguese, and the first time she met Ama, she was just terrified because she had a congenital eye disease that usually you go blind by the time you're in your 20s. And she had a cousin who had it who went blind. And she went up for Darshan. Amma never saw her before. And Amma looks at her and says to, to her in Portuguese, don't worry about your eyes, you'll be fine. And the same person actually was the first person who went to her medical school that Amma created, the Ames Medical School in India, in uh, Kerala, Cochin. And she's now a medical doctor practicing in the United States. Okay. So, I mean, it's just case yeah. after case of how, uh, I'll tell you another little one about her. Before, well, a, while we're still on languages, yeah. let me just okay. ask you a language yeah. question and then we can go on to you. Sure. Yes. Uh, and that is that 
I believe these things. I've seen enough amazing stuff with Amma to believe them. But a skeptical person who has never met her might say, oh, all right, well, if that's true, why does she bother with a translator as she goes from country to country? Why doesn't she just give her talks in English or German or French or you know, Spanish or whatever? Um, so is, do you feel like this is something she can do in short spurts and really needs a translator for a big, long talk? Or how would you think, explain that? You know, it's all, it's all called a leela or like a divine play. And that's part of it. See, in India, where they speak her native tongue of Malayalam mm-hmm. in, in, in Amritapuri, it, it's, it's unbelievable because most of the people going up there will, will speak to her in their native language, or she also speaks Tamil to people who, who talk to her in Tamil. And it's just like, I mean, it's just overwhelming. So, cause, so not only don't you have an interpreter kind of, you know, have a question line and, and people you know, to, to filter things out, but every single person is crying out to her in their native language. So I think part of it is that it would be, it would be just, it would be just too much. And it's kind of like, what do you mean it would be too much? It'd be like, then everybody would be crying out to her in English all the time, or if she's in France in French mm-hmm. and she could do it, but it's part of this whole pl- like divine play is what I call it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like you have a computer and you can open the program when you want to, but you don't always open a certain program. So when it's really needed to see, don't forget her whole quest is to to help bring people to God. Mm -hmm. So if she um, when it's really needed, like this, this woman from Yugoslavia or the woman from 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 Brazil, it was like a real special moment. But then again, these special moments wouldn't be so special if she could do that. (laughs) Plus, it would just be, it would just be, um, I think if she started speaking in every every country she went through, every language, it would be kind of like, you know, people would see it almost like some kind of show, you know, It, it would take it away from, it's like, when she first started manifesting Krishna Bhava, the, the, she became one with Krishna, and they says, oh, if you're really something special, like a, the skeptics were saying, well, then, you know, show us a miracle. And she says, well, if I showed you a miracle, you'd want another one and then another one and another one. And I'm here to take away the illusion and, you know, not to give you more, more stuff to feed your mind. And so she goes, but this one time I will do a miracle. And that's when she had a, a bowl of water and uh, she put her finger in it and it turned into pisum, which is pudding from the local area. And it was enough to feed the entire village. Or like the example of Datan the leper, which you can see in the movie Darshan. If you're skeptical, you can actually download it from Netflix, D-A-R-S-H-A-N. And it's a documentary about Amma. And there's scenes in the beginning of it of her... Uh, there's a leper named Dattan who came to see her back in the mid 80s and when he, he had opened sores on his body and it smelled terrible and pus was coming out and everybody kind of ran away and Dayarmata Swami said that's what really convinced him when he witnessed that when he witnessed her licking Dattan the leper's wounds and healing the wounds on the body through her holy saliva. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, come on, folks. Kind of a wild I mean, story, yeah. So, you know, so we shouldn't get caught up on like, well, if she could speak a language, why doesn't she always speak it in these languages? Just look at the video of Datan the leper and licking his wounds. I mean, people, some, you know, people were freaked out by it. Some people actually got 
I got sick and passed out because it was it was unbelievable. Don't try but this at she's home. She's only going to do it at <laughs> home. But but again, she doesn't she doesn't do it all the time. Yeah, I was uh, reading an article on the airplane coming back from California the other day about this guy who um, hit his head on the bottom of a swimming pool and got a severe concussion. And shortly thereafter, he began to be able to play beautiful classical music that he was composing on the fly and he could sit there for hours composing this stuff and he didn't really have any musical training whatsoever and then the article also mentioned some other instances like this kid that got hit in the head with a baseball and all of a sudden he could solve these complicated mathematical equations in, in his head and so the, the article was saying how we we and we've all heard of savants you know um, these are sort of like accidental savants but people we have tremendous capabilities we all saw Rain Man and yet they're usually locked up. So it might be that someone like Ama has access to the much more vast potentials of, of the, the mind and uh, of creativity and as well as other fields of life and uh, can actually access them at will, like you say, when it really serves a purpose, when there's really a necessity. Um, exactly. Yeah. You know, exactly. Like I gave you another example. So... A friend of mine um, had cancer, and he was in the hospital getting chemotherapy when Amo was at the ashram in San Ramon. And I was with him. It was just the two of us in the room. And he said to me, gosh, Amo doesn't even know how much I'm suffering here. And he actually got sick to his stomach and went to the bathroom and had, had uh, thrown up. He came back into the room and says, oh, I feel a little bit better now because he was getting really nauseous from the chemo. But then he felt better when I left. The next day I went to the program and Amma never, maybe once or twice has ever called me up, but she called me up and she said to me, my friend's name was Shakti, um, and she says, oh, Shakti's sick to his stomach yesterday, but then felt better when you left. <laughs> it was like to let him know that she was right in the room, aware of all his suffering. And there's case after case after case, stories like that where Amma is omnipresent. She knows everything that's happening everywhere. Yeah. It's, it's, but she'll, as you said, she'll, she'll, she'll say it when it's used, in this case, to uplift my friend who was in the hospital, or uh, the Yugoslavian woman, the Croatian woman, or the, the Brazilian woman. You know, but she's not going to go around doing it like, you know, 24-7, but only when it's really needed to give that, that, that spiritual boost in faith. Yeah. Um... Irene once asked uh, Amma a question at the Boston program about um, omniscience. And um, Irene, you can correct me if I don't get this right, but basically Amma said that um, she's, she has that sort of omniscient quality with regard to people who are open to her, who are connected with her. And I would gather from that that you know, she, doesn't, she couldn't necessarily tell you how many birds are in flight in the world right now or how many craters there are on the dark side of the moon or anything like that but it wouldn't be relevant or useful but whatever she really to do so but she if she tunes in on someone or if someone is tuned in and to her and connected with her then that channel is open and um useful information can come that that is going to be helpful to that person she, i think she said something like the door has to be open for the, Amma to pass through the door has to be open yeah, somewhat for, the door ha there has to be some receptivity you know yeah, or so, need, as, or as need. Dialo was saying. Yeah, right. like she doesn't... It's, it's like it's grace, it just happens at times. Yeah, some need. I, I just give you another, it sort of triggered a thought in my mind about, 
I, I, I coordinate the Prasad, and Prasad is when, um, after you get the hug, there's uh, a line of people who take turns giving her uh, a chocolate kiss, candy, or um, and a flower petal, and for the Indian people, they get a little packet of a booty or holy ash. And so I was Prasad coordinator, and Devi Bhava, it was around uh, 4.30 in the morning, and we were running out of people to, oh no, she called me and I said, I, we were running out of people to, to give Prasad. Prasad. Yeah. And she said, because I asked her, well, should people who weren't on the list give Prasad? And she goes, well, according to my calculations, at 4.07 a.m., all 937 people should have given Prasad. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, it's like this, you know, it was needed, the divine computer then, and you go to her, and in the beginning of a, a program in each city, and you say how many people are, are eligible to give Prasad, and she does the, the calculation and says how much time they should give giving Prasad to Amma. So she's, you know, it's just amazing. It is kind of, yeah, I've seen that. What were you going to say, Irene? Oh, just that um, people wouldn't understand what the prasad means. Oh, he kind it, of explained when it. people come up for darshan. Oh, let me explain it because you're not yeah, on the mic. Um, you explain it, Ted, because you're on the mic and you can explain it. You're the prasad coordinator. What? Yeah. I mean, they get a little kiss and, and a thing. A that, little chocolate kiss right. or a hard candy and a flower petal. And then the Indian folks in America or in Europe will also get a little packet of holy ash. Right, after your darshan. And after the reason there's somebody who needs to give her that is that she's busy, you know, giving darshan to all the people. And, and so there's some people sitting on, yeah, just some people sitting on the side and they have a tray of these things and they put the right, she just stretches her hand out, you put what she needs in her hand and then she can give it to the person. So it just makes the whole thing roll along more efficiently. And it gives people who, are very close to her, doing a lot of seva, selfless service, a chance to get near Amma. Yeah, it's a very nice experience. I've, I've done it many times. Um, okay, so maybe we've covered the the topic of omniscience, uh, which was your first chapter thing. I mean, there's more we can say about all these things, but that, we've covered some nice points. Uh, and if people have questions, we've got about 120 people on the live stream. It looks like you're free to send them in. There's a form at the bottom of the upcoming interviews page on batgap.com through which you can submit your questions. Let's just go down the chapter titles and, um, and let you riff a little bit on, on each thing. Um, the, the second chapter is the divine qualities of a Mahatma. What are those? And what okay. is a Mahatma? Everybody knows what a Mahatma is, but you might as well elaborate. Oh, I don't know if many people know unless you're on a spiritual path. Yes. A Mahatma a Mahatma is a self-realized master. But first of all, I just want to say that I am definitely no authority on Amma or Amma's spiritual path. I'm just someone who lived in her ashram, who wrote down stories. So for any questions you really have about the spiritual questions concerning Amma or your own spirituality, you know, you need to contact one of the, the brahmacharis, which is a renunciate, or one of the swamis. Uh, and so I, I don't, I'm, I, you know, I'm not that knowledgeable. So I just want to say right off the bat, don't quote me on anything. I'm just <laughs> someone who's like a secretary who wrote down some stories. Yeah. Well, but you've been around. So, you, 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 you know, you've been, been there, done that. You, you know a lot about this stuff. So we've got you right now. So, <laughs> so maybe some other time I'll interview one of those swamis. Um, so Mahatma, Atma, 
Atman is the, the self, and Maha means great. So it means a great soul, great, uh, you know, great sage. And um, we, we've heard of Mahatma Gandhi, for instance. So, so in Amma's case, we've been talking a, a lot about her already, and we've kind of enumerated some of her qualities. Uh, is there any other qualities you'd like to sort of touch upon that are? Well, I wrote. I'd rather do by sharing the story of yeah, the qualities. So. For example, um, as I mentioned, she could sit for hours, like 12, 14 hours without eating anything. Mm -hmm. And so, and she frequently doesn't have time to eat. She's busy traveling, going here and there. And the close devotees are always kind of nudging her to eat something. <laughs> Come on, eat something, Amma. And she doesn't have time. And one time, um, there's one Western Swami named Swami Paramatmananda who's actually from Chicago, his name was Neil Rosner. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole nother story. So he's an amazing, he's written several amazing books about Amma. He, at the age of 18, first went to Japan and then went to India and lived in Turvanamalai, Ramana Maharshi's ashram, and then he came to Amma. But he tells a story how he was in Amritapuri in the early days. Uh, I think it was even before she started coming on the US tour in 88, maybe it was like 86. And she hadn't eaten for days. And he kept saying, please, you know, eat something. And she refused. And she goes, okay, give me a plate of food. And he brought her a plate of food. She ate that. He goes, give me another plate. Then give me another plate. He brought her like 10 plates of food she ate. Then he had to go across this river called the Backwaters to the village of Valley Cow to get more food. And he was getting exhausted, giving her one plate after another that she kept eating. And then finally, she, he realized that a Mahatma like Amma it doesn't matter at all if she eats nothing or she eats nonstop because she's not like a normal human being. But, and one of the names of Amma is the one whose stomach is full when her children, because she considered everyone to be her children, have their, have, have their, their, their uh, meals. Uh -huh. So that's just one little story about a quality of uh, a Mahatma. Yeah, there's stories about Ananda Moima like that too, where she wouldn't eat for, she'd just eat a grain of rice or two a day or something like that for long periods, and then people would beg her to eat, and then she'd eat piles and piles, and it really didn't make any difference one way or the other for her. <clears throat> so another th another quality that, that I see over and over again, and you hear stories, you know, so Amma's traveling, and it's very stressful, and uh, they're going through, I've heard so many stories where they're going through customs, and they'll stop her, and stop the swamis, and she'll just stand there totally detached, totally accepting it, and the other people are getting kind of upset, let us through, let us through. And I remember one incident, it was in in Iowa. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you might, you probably at the program, because you're from Iowa. Um, there was this really obnoxious lady who- We've got a lot of those out here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, but this lady, she wasn't an Amma devotee, she was the first time coming there. She goes and she gets Darshan. She then grabs a camera and says, gives it to one of the swamis, says, take a picture of me with Amma. And she sticks her head while Amma's getting Darshan and asks him to take the picture. And everyone was getting so upset. And Amma just went, no, let her do it. It's okay, it's okay. And then she, then she wanted her ca camera back and she left. And it's like everybody was outraged that she had the audacity to go up there Tell a Swami, take my picture with Amma and me. And Amma just went along with it and everyone else got upset except Amma. So she's centered no matter what situation happens. Yeah, yeah she does. It's a good story. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was beautiful, Iowa. Yeah. So um, here's another chapter.
Uh, this is a useful point, actually, uh, for spiritual seekers in general, whether or not they're associated with Lama, and that is that obstacles help the devotees grow spiritually. We'll talk about that for a bit. Yep. So in the traditional teachings, I think both in Buddhism and Hinduism, they talk about how the guru tells the disciple to build the hut and then tear it down and build the hut and then tear it down and build the hut and then tear it down, always creating obstacles because that's how, how you can grow is by, by learning detachment and just surrendering. And so there's just, you know, many stories. I mean, I, I, I alluded to it in terms of even writing this book. The first two books I wrote about Amma, the first one I think was in 93 and the second one was 2002. And this is before many people came to see her. And I remember I wrote the book and Amma said, have Swamiji, Swami Amrita Surupananda read it. And he read it, and within a week or so, he says, yeah, go ahead, have it printed. And then the second one, he, I remember he apologized. He goes, oh, I'm sorry, it took a month to get back to you. So thinking like, okay, this is my third book. It'll be the same. And Amma says, talk to Swami. So to make a very long story of eight years or nine years short, um, I kept showing that book to different people and sending it um, – to, to different 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 people that Swami recommended read it and they would say well it's not like the first one and these changes and another one and then there was some Swami who was in the Himalayas trying to start a new ashram in North India and it just kept going on and on like that to the point I got which is I didn't want anything to do with the book and I asked one of the Swamis who had written a book I says I got some really good stories do you want it for your book so he goes, oh, yeah, I can, I can maybe use it. And so I went to Amma. I says, Amma, I don't have to deal with the book anymore because um, one of the swamis wants, wants to use the stories. She goes, no, Mother wants you to rewrite it, and you'll see it from a new perspective. <laughs> and she had me rewrite it and rewrite it and rewrite it to the point where at first it was like, oh, I wrote a book, to the point where I didn't want anything to do with it anymore until I just said, well, whatever Amma wants. And then finally this one brahmachari in India, brahmachari Satish, did a magnificent job, and then finally, after a year later, oh, then it was finally supposed to get printed, and then, it, of course, with Amma, it was too late. It was I, I, I emailed the person the printing press in India, and he says, well, I need it right now. I go, oh, I thought you didn't need it for another month because I wanted one more person in America to, to edit it. He goes, so then I just said, never mind. It's, I want it per it's already been eight years. Let's wait another nine years. <laughs> Let's wait nine years. And then finally... You know, the book came out very anticlimactic last June. Uh, <laughs> so it's kind of like just always working on the devotees, the people who are uh, devotees of Amma, to just learn surrender. Yeah. I, I suppose that's the ultimate value of obstacles is that they teach us not to insist that things happen uh, according to our own narrow timeline you know but there's and by surrender i would see, i would interpret that to mean that there is a divine will that is flowing if we can attune ourselves to it and that it's sort of thy will be done not mine and uh, exactly yeah and, and it I, helps you break down the ego too so you become more detached so detachment and surrender and this is what she works on people and that's one of the qualities of mahatma someone who's not just giving the devotees things that will feed the ego, but things that will feed them God, yeah. the divine. And, you know, um, the word Mahatma just jumped out at me again as you said it. The, 
you know, you, you meet Amma and you really tune in and watch what she's doing and, and it, you're just struck by the thought, wow, you know, this is what a, a human being could become. I mean, th- this, this, this sort of phenomenon that I'm observing is, it really gives me a different conception of, of what is possible or w- what a, you know, how remarkable uh, an embodied being can be. I don't want to seem too, um, I don't know. I'm not sure what the word is, but if you it puts the bar very high in terms of what spiritual evolution can be. I mean, I meet people sometimes who actually proclaim that they're done with their spiritual evolution; they've arrived. And you know, I think really, I mean, you you <laughs> you you don't realize how prof- how 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 profound it can become, uh, what the possibilities are. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I know Ama herself often says that it's always good to have the attitude of a beginner. And in, in Zen, there's this saying, beginner's mind. And I, I think that's, that's valuable. I think no, no matter how spiritually advanced one may actually be, um, it's a safeguard and perhaps even a characteristic of spiritual advancement to acknowledge that relative to what might be possible, one is a beginner. Yes. Also, I just want to, before I forget, the book Ama Inspiring Experiences of the Divine Mother by Ted Zeff Dialu. If people are interested, they could purchase it on Amazon or through the Ama.org bookstore. Yeah, I'll be linking to that from your page on, oh, okay. on BatCap. You want to hear a really interesting story? Sure. <laughs> this is one of my favorite ones. Um, so there's a, a method of healing called the Rosen Method, mm-hmm. and it was founded by Marion Rosen. And it's a hands-on where it just changes the energy level where you become just more of a channel for the divine energy. And I was blessed to have had sessions called the, uh, the Rosen Method. And as I said, it was founded by a, name, a woman named Marion Rosen who passed away a few years ago at the age of 97. So she was from Germany and she was Jewish. And it was... Um, Kristallnacht, the night that I think the Nazis broke all the um, glass in the Jewish stores and Jewish synagogues. And she kind of, she was afraid, she was a little afraid and she looked up in the sky and she had a vision of a woman saying to her, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. And she said, after that experience, I had no fear. And she bought a ticket. She, she, this is in the 1930s or something. This is 1938. Right. And then in early 1939, before Hitler closed the borders, she bought a ticket uh, to leave Germany to flee because it's gotten untenable there. She was actually trained as a physical therapist in Germany. And so she bought a ticket and she went to the ship and they said the ticket was invalid. And so she didn't know what she was going to do. And she met someone else and they were able to get on a motorbike and go through Europe. They made it, I think, to Poland and then got on a train, the Trans, Trans-Siberian, Trans-Siberian Railway. Railway, yeah. Railway. They made it to Japan, and then Japan, she came to, she got on a ship to the United States. And again, she said she never felt any fear. And on, on, the, on the Trans-Siberian Railway, it was full of Russian soldiers at the time, and it was really dangerous for a woman to be traveling, you know, and nothing ever happened to her. She felt she was always protected. So then flash forward from 1938 
1987, the first time Amma came to America. She has a daughter whose spiritual name is Hari Suda, who's helping arrange Amma's visit. And actually Amma stayed at her house. And when she saw Amma for the first time, she looked at her, she goes, oh my God, that was the woman who came to me in 1938 in Germany who said, don't be afraid. Mm -hmm. And then Amma talked to her in her, not only in German, but in her native dialect of German. It was, and what's so unbelievable about this story is that Amma manifested her body to protect Mary and Rosen um, decades before she was Amma even manifested in the body. Yeah. The implication of that to me is that, you know, Amma has a sort of a ongoing relationship with certain people that is timeless and that um, precedes her physical birth, which was what, 1955 or something? 1953. 1953. And uh, it's kind of inspiring. In fact, you might comment on this. I mean, I think Amma's made comments about how her relationship with her devotees is ongoing and uh, regardless of the you know the birth or death of, of the body it's it's she's going to be there for you yeah i think she said that people who are with her in this life have been with her in, in previous births mm -hmm. <clears throat> and she said to me once it was very touching when when my birth mother was still alive and going through she was, had alzheimer it was very difficult and i was telling ama how difficult it was and she basically says, you know, don't worry about her. I'm your mother for eternity. <laughs> so that's yeah. like, wow, she's my mother for eternity, not just for this temporary life of a few years. Yeah. And I'm sure she didn't mean don't worry about your mother or don't take care of your mother or anything like that. It's it's more like, you know, I'm I'm here for the long haul. That was the point she was making. Yes. Yeah. Question came in from a listener. If he asks Amma for clarity of mind, would Amma answer it? And it's not clear in his asking this whether he means in person or as some kind of a prayer. Uh, and perhaps this could lead into a, a little bit of a discussion about how people pray to Amma and get results. Yes. You know, this is only my opinion. And as I said before, I'm not a Swami or Brahmachari. I don't know very much. But my experience has been I had people pray to Amma and have amazing results. And then, but I'm the kind of person who's very maybe orient, right brain or is left brain when you want the details. Yeah, uh, detail, left brain. Detail, left brain oriented. So it's like, I always want to, some people who've been with Amma for, for 25, 30 years, never, never asked her a question mm -hmm. and they feel like they're getting the answer, but I'm always the one who needs to go up her big baby. That's me. Amma, I have a pain right here. Help me. You know, what do I do about this? Um, you know, if it's a very important question about, you know, well, should I relocate? You know, do you want to get married to this person? Do you want to, this job? You know, if it's very, very important. Although nowadays it seems like Amma's letting people decide more and more. She'll say whatever you feel to do. Um, but I mean, I just, it's another story popped in my mind about praying to Amma. So there was someone who um, had lived at the ashram in San Ramon. She went to India. She married someone there, but, and then they moved to Germany. And they she and her husband had split up, and she was wondering if she should go back to the United States to go to Germany, and she prayed to Amma. And then one day she was walking down the street in the city in Germany she was living in, and she says, it's like everything just stopped, went into slow motion. 
and she heard this voice saying, go back to America. This was after praying to Amma. And then she said, oh, I don't know, maybe it was just my mind thinking that was happening. And then a few weeks later, Amma was in the United States and she wrote a friend, uh, emailed a friend saying, can you ask Amma for me if I should go back to America? And Amma's response was, I already told you the answer. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's, so and I hear many stories of people praying. Someone had severe back pain and prayed to Amma. And she felt like right after she prayed deeply to Amma, the pain just went away. But it doesn't always happen that way. And the other thing is about the health issues is that Amma only intervenes if it's God's will. So um, frequently, so many people coming, oh, my relative has this, you know, it's a catastrophic disease or I have this problem. And she has healed people. You know, I, I know several people who had catastrophic diseases, but it's rare. It's only if it's God's will. But even if she doesn't heal you, which she can't if it's not God's will, then she'll give you the strength to deal with it. And actually, um, I have a companion who passed away of cancer, Nandita, she, uh, two years ago, Christmas. And she, I remember she says, I don't want to lie here for like a year dying. And she prayed to Amma that, um, you know, she just wouldn't have to lie there a year dying. And it was amazing because Thanksgiving was her birthday, exactly two years ago, November. And even though the cancer spread all over her body and they gave her a year to live, she was actually fine. It was bizarre. And then it was only a couple of weeks before she passed away on Christmas day that the symptoms started getting worse and worse. And literally, the week before she went to a potluck dinner and made a nut loaf, it's like amazing. Hmm. And then literally uh, like a few days before she passed, you know, the symptoms got worse. And even the days that she passed away, she uh, got up Christmas morning and wanted to go to some kind of Christmas event. And then she got worse and then she passed away later. But this is how Amma works. It was, it was grace, I think, from Amma that led her not have to lie around suffering for a year, which she said, I, she prayed to Amma that she didn't want that, being a burden on people. That's nice. And, um, you know, some people might say, well, that's anecdotal and it could have happened that way anyway or whatever. But I think there's really something um, healing and uh, uplifting about having a devotional relationship with someone who's worthy of that relation, worthy of devotion. It nourishes the heart, it gives one faith, it, it sort of smooths the, the path of life. Anyway, that's my feeling. Okay, so we have a bunch of other chapters in your book, and we don't really have to go through them one by one and try to bring up stories, but I'll just read them to you quickly, and, and why, don't you help, why don't you just interrupt, and uh, if you feel like there's a particular story that you'd like to tell around this or that chapter, let me know. And uh, we'll go on a little bit longer, and then we'll we'll wrap it up. Um, one is well, here's a chapter about Amma helping to heal emotions. Anything you'd like to say about that? So it's all again related to the stories about it. Well, she talks all about dealing with anger, mm -hmm. and she she really stresses how it hurts yourself if you're angry as well as the other person. Yeah, she says and, it's like holding a knife that doesn't have a handle and it's sharp on both ends. You know, you, you can hurt them, but you're hurting yourself in the process. So a, a lot of, uh, of what she talks about is 
in terms of healing disputes. I'll tell you just actually one little story. When I was living in this little cottage in the ashram, um, there was someone who never did their dishes. They would leave dirty dishes in their sink, in the sink. And I talked to the person about it. You know, some people, everyone comes from a different background with different habits. And I remember I was thinking like, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll take those dirty dishes and put it in front of the person's door. <laughs> and then I went in and I meditated and I actually prayed to Amma about it. I did the Archana, which is repeating the, the names of the Divine Mother. And I heard this really clear voice <laughs> that my ego did not want to hear saying, the highest thing to do is to do the dishes for the person. <laughs> and I really felt it was directly from Amma helping me let go of the anger. And um, I did the dishes for the person and that what uh, could have gotten like a dispute of putting dirty dishes by someone's door. Amma came through to me and says, no, just do the dishes. So she's always stressing the devotees to go out of their way to be loving and kind instead of getting back and sh expressing anger. And uh, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. And there was a cool story in your book about her getting angry at some guy uh, and criticizing him for something that perhaps he didn't even le legitimately deserve to be criticized for and him reacting, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, later on her doing the same thing and, and him having him matured spiritually to the point where he was just... He had he was in equanimity about it, you know. He was just uh, and then she commented, "Whoa, now see how much he's grown." Also, that story. Let me tell you is that as soon as the um, person left, when she went, "Why did you put this the, this over here and all that?" She turned to the other person and says, "I just didn't see how he would react." Yeah. So she's doing she's testing us all the time, and she's doing things that can push our buttons to to learn how to control that anger that's within us. Yeah. My former teacher once said, sometimes I'll blow cold winds your way, sometimes I'll blow warm winds, and in the end you'll be weatherproof. Perfect. <laughs> so here's a chapter on surrender the present moment. And you know what comes to mind when I read that chapter title is um, when I see pictures of Amma, particularly in India, sitting on a stage, and there's this sea of humanity out in front of her. And I think she's got to she's gonna have to hug every single one of those persons before the, the, the night is over, before the event is over. And before that, there's going to be a talk and some bhajans and everything else. I think of myself in that position, if I were in it, think, feeling like I'm kind of like facing my crucifixion or something. I mean, I think, my God, you know, this is what I'm looking forward to for the next 18 hours or something. But I, I get the feeling that Amma, one way Amma deals with it, aside from her vast capacity and kind of like you know, solid as a rock establishment in divine consciousness is, and love, is that she is very much in the present moment. She's not thinking, oh, how am I going to feel 12 hours from now? It's more like this moment, this moment, constantly in the present moment. Exactly. People ask her sometimes, they want to go find out about their past lives or something like that. And she discourages it because she says, what if you find out your current spouse in your life had killed you in a past life <laughs> or something like that? And she goes, the past is a canceled check. We can't do anything about it. The future, we don't know what's going to happen. The only thing we could change is the present moment. So she's always telling little stories to help us be right here and now. Yeah. Be here now. Good. <laughs> 
Okay, so your next chapter is chipping away at the ego, and, and we've already told some stories about how Ahmed does that. Anything else you care to add to that? I don't know if I should tell you this one's a funny one, though. Sure, <laughs> people like funny ones. So, um, as I said, I coordinate the prasad, and there's a line of people going to Amma. So, you know, people who have, like, like, so I had, like, a position, the coordinator, like, oh, I thought I was something special coordinating this prasad. And I also used to give uh, announcements at the programs uh, a long time ago before I got kicked out of that job, probably. Anyway, so... What happened was there was someone giving Prasad to Amma. They're handing her the chocolate kiss and the flower petal. And this person was a friend of mine and she has long hair. And somehow the hair got stuck in my fanny pack that I used to wear in the zipper. And Swamiji saw me and he wanted me to make an announcement. So he calls me to come on the stage. So I started to run on the stage and I hear this scream. And what happened was every time I moved, the um, <laughs> the hair, she got pulled away from Amma and I was pulling her hair and I turned around and when I turned around, everybody was just laughing. It was just, it was hysterical because I, I kept turning to see what was going on. Something was caught and every time I did it, it was, it was hurting this poor person until I finally was able to extricate her hair from my fanny pack. Okay. So that was a great way for my, my ego to get chipped away. It's like, oh, I thought I was doing something important, going to give an announcement or coordinate this job. And <laughs> things like this happen around Alma. Yeah, they do. Huh. Okay, so there's a few more chapters in your book, um, but we should probably wrap it up. Um, I just want to, you know, give you the opportunity to anything else you feel like you'd like to say to people, either a story or just anything you'd like to say in general that, you know, might inspire people to go and see Amma when they get the chance. Well, I really believe that everybody comes to see Amma at the exactly right at the exact right time. And many devotees, including myself for years, have been pushing their relatives to see Amma and they don't want to come. I say leave them alone. They're getting the benefit anyway. I don't think I'll tell the story because it's a little too long, but it has to do with uh, a relative of mine that was definitely helped. So Amma is helping your relatives through you. Mm. That's really important. So, But if you feel like spiritually uplifted by some of the things we've talked about and you feel guided to see her, then by all means come see her. If you don't, that's totally great. And, you know, because I, I really believe that it's everyone comes at the right time. I, I must have done something good in a past life that had the good karma of meeting her back in 88 when the crowds were still small. But at any rate, um, I just really feel that uh, you come when, when it's the right time and, and, and everyone's coming at, at the right time and don't worry about if you see Ama, don't worry about bringing all your friends and bring carloads of people to see her just focus on yourself and if people want to come great if they don't they're getting the that divine energy of Ama through you yeah there's a Bengali saying this if no one comes on your call then go ahead alone mm -hmm. um, and I would recommend that if a person does go to see Ama that they really focus in on it you know I mean I've heard people talk about 
working it out real efficiently so they can, you know, calculate when their darshan is going to be and get their darshan and then go shopping or go to a movie or something. That's not the idea. Uh, the idea is to just settle into the atmosphere and uh, because something really profound happens, it's not just the, the minute or so or two when you're actually getting your darshan. The whole thing is a is a kind of a yagya, if you know that word. Uh, it's a It's a spiritual event that permeates, the atmosphere permeates into you the longer you sit in it. Um, so and, really... it is, and it is, just to add, it's easy to get caught up in all the external stuff there because there's a lot of talking and families and kids running around and, Music you know, and, yeah. yeah, everything's going on. So, yeah, try and take advantage of it. Just sit quietly with your eyes closed and tune in. And after Darshan, try and really, after Ama touches you, hugs you, try and sit quietly for as long as you can and feel that divine energy. And I just luckily had an experience in London uh, a couple of weeks ago when she was there of being able to sit near her after a, a Darshan. Because uh, a lot of times I'm busy doing other things. So I can't sit so long. And I had a profound experience just yeah. Feeling that energy coming in. And if you get bored sitting with your eyes closed, sit and watch Amo with your eyes open because it's kind of fascinating to watch her do it. It's the- hard. It's actually it's hard <laughs> to keep your eyes closed in her presence. Yeah, it's yeah. quite it's quite fascinating the whole thing. Um, even so, yeah, good. And it's like watching divinity in motion. Irene's saying it's like watching divinity in motion. And you don't have to, I mean, we've been talking as sort of fellow devotees here, but you don't have to be a devotee or have any particular belief in Amr or anything else. I mean, curiosity is a good enough reason to go. Um, just go and check it out and see if it resonates with you. I think maybe you'll find that it does. Yeah. All right, well, thanks, Dialu. This has been enjoyable. So let me just make some concluding remarks. I, this has been another in an ongoing series of interviews. Uh, with and about spiritually awakening and people. There are many, many of them, and if you go to batgap.com, look under past interviews, you'll see them all organized. Check out the other menus. You can sign up for an audio podcast. And, um, you can see who's scheduled under upcoming interviews, and uh, you know there's a donate button, as I mentioned, and some resources that you might find useful under the resources menu. So just explore the menus. There aren't too many of them. It'll only take you a few minutes to see what we've got. but. Uh, there's some useful stuff there. Oh, you can also sign up to be notified by email each time a new interview is posted, so you might want to do that. So thanks for listening or watching, and we will see you for the next one. See you then.